Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, Magic and Alchemy is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lizenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. So, listeners, we have a really special episode planned for you today. If you're a longtime podcast listener, you know that Kristen lives on a homestead in the Azores, and you may even be following her amazing minimalist homestead account. During this episode, I'll be interviewing Kristen about her journey caring for and living on her husband's familial land and how she's crafted a personal relationship with homesteading. We'll discuss the lessons that she's learned along the way. Kristen, I'm super excited. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, You know, this episode, like so many others, was inspired by a listener who wanted to know why I don't talk about homesteading more. But I love talking about plants and soil health and sustainability. And so I'm happy to share more about this part of my life. Amazing. Well, let's just get into it. Um, Can you tell us just a little bit about your journey to the Azores, Kristen? How did it all start? Mm, Where to begin? Um, So I would say like seven-ish years ago, I was working corporate retail in California in Santa Barbara when I found out the location I was at was closing And I was given the opportunity to move back to LA and continue with that company or be laid off. And I chose to be laid off Mm. at, yeah, at that point for what felt like the first time, like I did not have a plan, but I knew that I was tired of taking steps in my career that were based on, uh, you know, like securing a high salary and, you know, that lacked a creative element and, So I told my husband, Eric, uh, who was my boyfriend at the time, that I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wanted to take a month-long vacation. And of course, he was like, you're crazy. You just lost your job. But this was like the first time since I was 15 that I had the time to do something like that. I wanted to go to Paris and Berlin and Amsterdam, all these places that I had read about and like dreamed of visiting, but I never could because I was married to my nine to five. Um, And so we decided to take that trip and we ended our vacation in the Azores sort of on a whim to Mm. see where Eric's mom and dad grew up and meet some of his extended family. Um, So we came, we saw, we fell in love with a really old farmhouse that Eric's great-grandmother lived in, also his great-aunts, and then finally his mom. And as luck would have it, the house was for sale, and they were having a really hard time finding a buyer. But at that point, we weren't really thinking of moving to the Azores. You know, this was just something you sort of, like, dream about when you're on vacation. Mm -hmm. So... We went back to California and then, you know, like all the what ifs began, like 
what if instead of buying a house in California, we bought that house? What if we sold everything we owned and moved abroad? What if we started our dream farm there? You know, like, what would that look like? And then um, shortly after that trip, I met and started working with Shelby and Tamed Wild. And, you know, she's such like a free spirit and travel enthusiast. She was like my biggest supporter, um, which is really surprising because you don't expect that from your boss to be like, yes, you know, you should move abroad. But she was like, yes, buy the house. Um, And I think about a year after our first trip to the Azores, uh, maybe a little less, we ended up buying the house. Um, And then we moved here about eight months after that. And then like all the renovations and the building of our new life and new reality began. Mm. Yeah, I remember when you and I first met um, and we were just kind of Instagram DM friends and I had to like look up where the Azores even were. Like for some of our listeners who might not even know that, can you you kind of share? Because I think it's so magical. Yeah. So the Azores, I just say I'm in the middle of the Atlantic. Um, And if you do like a little Google search, you'll see that's pretty true. But we're about a two and a half hour flight to mainland Portugal and about a four hour flight um, to Boston. So we really are in the middle of the Atlantic, um, which is so amazing. And it's so beautiful. And it's like the greenest place I've ever been before. But it is rather isolated. And then also just because we're going to be talking about the land and your relationship with it, can you kind of paint a little bit of a texture about of the terrain for folks listening? Like, what does it look like out your window? You know, I hear a lot of people compare it like the um, Hawaii of Europe. Um, And I would say it's similar. It's definitely not Hawaii, but I mean, there are some overlaps. This is a very green place. It rains all the time, but there's also lots of sun, Um, very mountainous. Um, So I'm looking like out my window. I have like a beautiful view of the ocean and green fields and cows. Um, I live in the country out here, but there is like, you know, there are like cities as well, which um, maybe wouldn't have the same view as me, but equally as beautiful. Um, yeah, just go online and look. There's so many, like the pictures, I don't even think do it justice. I don't think my description does it justice. It's a very beautiful place. Mm. And then, I mean, this is something, a big topic that you and I have talked about a lot before, but what has it been like living in a foreign country and and as an outsider? Mm, You know, it's challenging. It's humbling. It's, of course, like lonely from time to time, uh, but also really like satisfying in many ways as well. I have to mention the language barrier because that is like a very real uh, challenge for us um, as non-native Portuguese speakers. Um, And even though we're continually improving our Portuguese, it is humbling when you need to make like a two-minute phone call or ask a question and you can't get the point across. Or if you do get the point across, you maybe don't understand the response. And, you know, the same goes for 
you know, talking with your neighbors and making friends. We live in a small community where everyone knows everyone. And we often look to our neighbors when it comes to like planting and pruning, harvesting. And at the beginning, it was such a struggle to hold an exchange with someone Mm. um, painful at times. And perhaps even more so for me as a writer who really relies on effective communication for my livelihood. Um, But I'm sure many immigrants can speak to that same experience. And then coming at your question sort of from a different angle or reflecting in a larger sense on what it means to live somewhere as an outsider, I am so aware, maybe sometimes even too aware that I'm an outsider on a small island with limited resources. And Kate, I know we've talked about this like many times off air, but mm-hmm. part of, yeah, but part of the reason I don't talk about me living here as much as I did when I first moved is because I've seen firsthand how people moving to a small island can drastically change the economy mm-hmm. in a very short period of time. You know, all we have to do is just look at what's going on in the Hawaiian Islands, um, you know, with locals being driven out because of rising home costs um, in the only place they've ever called home. It's truly heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And so I've had many people come to me saying, you should write a book on the Azores, you know, how you did it, what paperwork you needed, how much money it cost you, like all the details. And there was a part of me at one time that was like, yes, this would be great. I wish I had that resource when I was trying to figure out how to get here. Um, But then I had a channeled writing session in my greenhouse one afternoon that just really shifted my perspective on everything. And I know, Kate, we've talked about it, but I'll share with our listeners as well. Um, you know, like every other writer or creative, I, at the time I was working on several projects. Uh, one was Azores related, and I was looking for guidance with which ones to follow. And so I invited in the land spirits to help me, uh, not only the trees and plants, but Eric's great grandmother, the three great aunts, any energies that were presiding over the home and property. I wanted to hear from them. Like, what did they think I should write? Mm -hmm. And their response was one of the clearest I've ever received in a channeled writing session. They said, whatever you write in regards to the Azores, it should directly benefit the Azores. And so when I thought about the Azores book that everyone was asking for, I saw that it would not directly benefit the Azores, and it might actually do the opposite because if I'm encouraging more outsiders to come to a small island and use their limited resources, you know, even if you're paying taxes as everyone should and spending your money here, at what point is that not sustainable? And at what point does that hurt the people who've lived here their entire lives? And you know, I say all this, of course, as an outsider who does not have the answers. Um, but 
you know, these are just some of the things I think about as someone living in a country much smaller, so far removed from the one I grew up in. I, I mean, like you said, we've talked about this a lot, but I love this reflection and as a place to kind of start this conversation too, because, you know, listeners might wonder like, what does this have to do with witchcraft? But to me, it's everything mm-hmm. because it's kind of um, acknowledgement of the interconnectedness of all things and how these small threads make all of the difference and can impact place and ancestral lineage and future ancestors. And I think Um, I'm just grateful for you sharing that. So thank you. And then, so you got to the Azores, you and Eric, you're living in this farmhouse, renovations are beginning, you're dealing with the language barrier, navigating a relationship as an outsider. But how did that kind of first homesteading project go? Like, what was the first thing? Where did you start? Because I'm sure there were so, so much going on in all of that, right? Oh, so much. A lot of tears, too. It's just Mm. overwhelming to begin a large project. So if anyone out there is beginning a large project and you're crying, I feel like that's a good thing, you know? Um, You have to water the seeds with something. You do. You do. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And I will say that, like, Eric and I were big gardeners. Like, before we moved here, uh, we had three chickens in our tiny like suburban uh, backyard and we always knew we wanted a piece of land to develop so we'd been dreaming about a homesteading venture long before it turned into a tangible thing but once we got here I think like two weeks in Eric convinced me we should get a goat and so I say it as a joke yes. uh, that our homesteading journey began with goats but it's totally true it started with goats. That makes sense to me, actually. <laughs> it does. Um, and then, you know, I needed the companion too, right? Like I needed, I felt like some animal therapy was like really needed in this journey. Um, and then we just started working the land, like no fancy tools, just a couple of shovels, a bit of muscle, lots of will. And Even though we purchased an old farmhouse, the land had not been touched in years and years. And this was our first time living somewhere with such fertile soil um, where there's ample rain. And so our first year's garden was beautiful. Um, This was before we had a greenhouse. So everything was outdoors. Mm. We did like potatoes and onions, garlic, lettuce, zucchini, beans, um, tomato, squash, pumpkins, corn, <laughs> like everything. This we did list everything. is like ASMR to me. I'm like, <laughs> yes, keep going. <laughs> yeah, we had like these beautiful herb gardens and we planted citrus trees. We really went all out and Eric's relatives and our neighbors would stop by to give us pointers. And whenever they'd say, oh, you know, you did this or that wrong, we really appreciated it because working with plants is a craft. Um, My husband calls it a school. It's learning or like relearning. Um, It's a relearning experience to really like sew ourselves back into the world of plants and soil and cycles. And it requires plenty of patience and sweat equity and tears, like we mentioned. So I have to ask now, (laughs) what was kind of like, what or what is maybe 
the biggest regret or mistake that you made along that journey at school, that craft? You know, Eric and I reflect on this a lot and it's always so hard to say like, oh, I wish I would have done this or that because you never know how that quote mistake would have played out under other circumstances. But homesteading aside for just a second, Mm -hmm. looking at like the actual move, um, I wish we would have sent a shipping container instead of selling everything we owned. I know it sounds so romantic to be like, oh, I moved to another country with just a suitcase. Um, We had five with us, FYI, when we moved. But, you know, Eric and I lived together for almost five years before we moved. And so we had a house like with everything, you know, like kitchen utensils and furniture and bedding, like a million pots and gardening related items that would have really come in handy. But we just had the mindset of like, oh, this is a new life. Uh, We're just going to sell everything. And then, you know, we'll visit a few like thrift stores and buy everything we need secondhand. It'll be really easy. And so we sold everything. And then we moved here and realized that might have not been the best choice. Mm. Um, It's like so obvious to us now, but at the time living in California, you're just so programmed and you can buy secondhand that's basically like brand new um, at so many places. And so I wasn't really thinking about island pricing and Mm. how limited we were going to be when it comes to like buying a couch or pots and pans. You know, there's no Ross, there's no TJ Maxx or Marshalls, like no discount stores or secondhand shops where you can find like a mortar and pestle or like a cool piece of vintage furniture. Um, And that's not to say you can't buy things here because there absolutely are home stores and places where you can just get all the things, but the prices for these things are so much higher than what we were used to. Um, You know, not to mention like just quality and availability of these items. And so moving here really like, opened my eyes even more to how much the U.S. economy is based on our continual consumption of goods Mm. and how easy they make it for us to contribute to that model. Mm. Yes. And I will also say that how good did it feel to sell everything and start over? It actually feels so good. It's like so freeing. And, you know, I say Eric and I always like laugh about it because we moved here. We really did sell like Mm -hmm. everything, like vehicles and just just all sorts of personal items. And we kept the things that were really important to us. Um, But yeah, Eric and I laugh because it's like we got rid of our cell phones. Like we got rid of everything. And he was like, it's so freeing. I don't have a cell phone bill. I don't have this. He used to have like a big a uh, ring of keys with all the different keys we had for our businesses and various things. And so to get rid of all that, it is so freeing, but then you come here and you reestablish yourself and you, it all comes back to you, you know? Totally. I know that you and I often talk about kind of like the cord cutting of the mm-hmm. donation of clothes or selling of clothes and yeah, there's, I mean, there's just something energetically so good about it, but yeah, from a practical standpoint, also so difficult. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I, you talked a little bit earlier about um, some automatic channeled writing practices in the greenhouse and hearing from the spirits of the land. So I would love for you to talk a little bit more about your relationship with these spirits. How have you cultivated that? Do you have any advice for our listeners living anywhere about connecting with the spirits of, of their own land? Yeah. Um, so as far as crafting a relationship with the spirits of the land, like I definitely have the plants to thank for that, uh, you know, for their willingness to speak with me and their patience and Like we both mentioned, channeled writing continues to be like really helpful for me when I want to connect with these energies in a way that's different than like physically putting my hands in the dirt and sewing, pruning, leaving offerings. I think that's an important element as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think a big part of crafting a relationship with spirits is also just like being really open to what is shared with you and not judging it because usually at the time it may not make a lot of sense. Um, and just listening, you know, writing it down. So you have a record of the conversation because I mean, if you're like me, like I cannot rely on my brain to remember things, but if it's in my journal and I can return to it, um, that's where to me, I'm going to, um, absorb the most, I suppose. And I'm also fortunate that my mother-in-law, who is from here, who grew up in this house, is always more than willing to tell me stories about her aunts and her grandmother and like local island folklore. And so I think when living and working with land that has such history, like as all land does, Uh, Learning from someone who has a personal relationship with these places is really priceless. And I'm really grateful for that. And just for our listeners, it was three three sisters that lived there, right? Yes. I I love this part of the story, if you could could tell it. Yeah. So um, these Eric's great aunts, three sisters, um, they were never married. Um, they were also weavers. And so uh, there's a couple different buildings on this property in addition to the house that we live in. And one is like a two-story building that is an old root cellar or it was an old root cellar. It's now my husband's shop. Um, but the top story of it was the weaving room for these three sisters, which just sounds so cool. And so when we moved here, it was just kind of full of half finished projects. I guess they were the local clothes makers for the village as well. So people would come to them wanting a dress made or, you know, new pair of pants and they would make them. Um, And so we cleared out a lot of stuff. Obviously a lot of it was damaged and had been packed away for a long time and it's so humid here. So things don't really last, but we came across a bunch of finished and half finished, um, weaving projects that were really cool. cool. And yeah. So we set them aside and we'd really like to get them framed. That's still on our to-do list, but they're also like so fragile. So I'm trying to figure out the right way to go about that. But yeah, I never got to meet these sisters, but I've seen pictures of them and I've seen one of them like in my dreams. And so I feel like they're really happy that we're here. Yeah. And I mean, 
three sisters who weave I just have to conjure up the fates or the gray sisters or the weird sisters it's like this long lineage of groups of three women Mm -hmm. with their own little magical bent to their to their story you know it's Mm -hmm. amazing I'm not surprised that that house is where you live (laughs) yeah feels good Mm -hmm. And and then I guess in contrast to even biggest regret or mistake, like what has been the most fun challenge? Like what has been a challenge you've kind of have taken on that has been invigorating or that you've learned a lot from? Mm, Such a good question. You know, I feel like this is, I don't know if this is going to quite answer your question, but I think about this a lot. Something that I find really fun or enjoyable is that homesteading really goes against capitalism. And I say that as somebody who is engaged in capitalism myself. So, um, you know, I know it's all about balance, but I feel like homesteading really goes against what we're told like we should be doing, you know, like we should be working at a corporate job. We should be spending our time making money. And even though I can totally see like planting beans as like making money um, because, you know, I'm going to be eating them and they will physically support me and nourish me. I also like can't pay my electric bill with beans. And so there is like this balancing act going on. Like how do I live this quote alternative lifestyle? Um, you know, when we live in a capitalistic society and we're required to engage with it. And so I find homesteading kind of fun in that aspect. Like I'm still engaged with capitalism, but I'm also in some ways working against certain elements of it for the betterment of the earth. We must embrace all pockets of resistance that we can. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? And I also think like, I mean... I don't know. We all, we all need to be healthy, right? We all need to work out, but it's not fun. And so, you know, I think like the physical act of homesteading is like really hard. Um, you know, it's really hard on the body and it's time consuming, but, um, physically strenuous, but I also think it's good for me, like as a writer, somebody whose job is like very stationary, maybe I'm not as active. So I, I kind of think like the balance between being a writer and being a homestead, like works out really nicely for me as well of just like reminding myself that I have a body and I have to take care of it. And I need to be active and, you know, do all those things you have to do when you have a body. Yes. (laughs) It's hard to remember all of them. I love that. And like being tired at the end of a day, like when you've been working like that, there's not really, I mean, I love that feeling. My Aries Mm -hmm. moon loves that feeling. I'm like, we're Mm -hmm. exhausted. Thank goddess. (laughs) So I would love to ask for kind of your top, top three tips, whether that's about gardening, like your long practice as a gardener. I love that so much or homesteader or expat, just kind of the top first three that come to mind. Mm. Well, I'll start with an observation. Um, I will say that it is a lot more fun, in my opinion, to do this work alongside a like-minded soul. Uh, I feel like super, super, super lucky that my partner loves working with the land, but I think, you know, if that's not your situation, even just like a friend or, I don't know, like a gardening pal, someone who shares an interest 
in this lifestyle. It can just be so beneficial. A weaving um, sister. Yes, a weaving sister, two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's like not to say that someone can't do this work on their own, but it truly can turn into a full-time job and a helping hand um, makes a world of difference. Um, but tips, okay, this might be really boring for some people, but I find like soil and soil health, like really fascinating. Um, so even if we live somewhere where the soil is excellent, you know, if we're going to be like sowing and reaping, uh, pulling nutrients from the earth, we're going to need to do something to put those nutrients back in. Otherwise our plants are really going to suffer future harvests. Um, and of course, there's so many ways to do this, but here we're really big fans of vermicomposting. Um, and this is different than like a traditional compost heap uh, because we're composting with worms, uh, which are usually red wigglers, although there's different kinds. Uh, but those are completely different from the earthworms we see in our yards from time to time. So we have three enclosed vermicomposting bins that we feed uh, food scraps every few days, Um, you know, like sands, meat, or citrus bread. There's like a few things they don't like, but they're not too picky. And we use this, uh, we use these worm castings to make soil for like nearly everything in our greenhouse, all of our plant starters, and then we also add it to our outdoor gardens as well. So I think Anyone who's interested in engaging with this type of lifestyle, definitely look into composting. Like there's so many different kinds and just finding one that works for you um, has been really helpful for us. And then next tip, I'm going to say get chickens. Um, Even if, yeah, I I can't say goats because I would just be giving horrible advice. They're much more high maintenance. Um, But yeah, even if you live in the city, like we used to before we moved here, you know, like find out what your city allows. For us, it was three chickens. Um, And so we got three chickens. And as long as you have a little bit of space, you can make like a safe, sturdy coop and maybe add a chicken run so they can wander. But chickens are just so low maintenance and really self-sufficient. So Um, getting them, in my opinion, like really raises your homesteading confidence, especially in the beginning. And then you get free eggs because from what I've heard, eggs are very expensive right now, but Mm -hmm. you know, haven't bought any in years. Great barter tool. Uh, Yes. Delicious breakfast. (laughs) Anti-capitalist chickens. We love it. All the things. Um, For a final tip, I might've already said three, but I have one more. I would say if anyone out there like is interested in this, but maybe they're like on the fence about a a certain aspect of homesteading, I would say watch some YouTube. Mm. Um, As I'm sure everyone knows, like there are so many inspiring things on YouTube, um, including people living alternative lifestyles for all sorts of reasons. And we watched a ton of them before we made the leap ourselves. Um, and then each year it's kind of like a ritual in early spring. We'll return to our favorite channels to get inspired for a new season. Um, 
I tried so hard when we first moved here to get Eric to start a YouTube channel with me because he's so talented. And I also wanted like a video diary of Mm. everything we were doing. Um, But for an extrovert, he's so camera shy. So that never happened. It just, you know, we have our Instagram and that's beautiful and great. Um, But actually a friend of mine who lives on Florge, which is um, another island, much smaller island in the Azores, she just started a channel called Flowers Homestead Mm -hmm. to document their off-grid lifestyle. So anyone out there is interested in seeing what that looks like, I would say, check it out. Great tips. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would love to come back to plants because this uh, conversation wouldn't be complete without some green witchery. But um, so I'm curious, what plant did you initially struggle with, but have since grown a strong connection to? Mm, Well, the one that comes to mind right away is blackberry. Mm. I love blackberries. Um, I love that come like September-ish, untouched blackberry bushes are gold mines around here and people myself included will start just like pulling over on the side of the road to collect a jar for like some jam or whatever else but blackberries are incredibly resilient plants um some might even say invasive you can trim them back again and again but if you do not remove the roots like these prickly vines uh, keep growing back. And we have a good amount of blackberry growing around the borders of our property. And actually like looking at my hand right now, I was pulling some weeds yesterday and just grabbed like a handful of vines and tugged. So, you know, um, I think in the beginning, like that's so frustrating and you just want to cut them all out. But Then I started researching like some of the folklore and folk practices surrounding blackberry and, you know, medicinally blackberry is like an incredibly healing plant, not just the flowers and fruit, but also the leaves. Uh, It's also sacred to Bridget, the goddess that we love so much. And if you can find an arch of like blackberry brambles, um, it's considered good luck to walk beneath them. Um, especially if you're seeking like a cure for an illness or an injury. And I know we've talked about thorn magic before on this podcast. And so considering the protective essence of thorns, I've decided it feels rather witchy to live within a circle of blackberry vines. And so I'm very much into it now. Mm. Yes, I love blackberry. They're special. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Kristen, we're nearing the end of our conversation here, but I have to ask, like, what's next for you? What are you working through this spring on the homestead? Like, what exciting projects are you looking forward to? The eternal question, mm-hmm. what's next? I ask myself that every day, like, what am I doing? I would still love to write some sort of something about this homesteading journey, although it's still very much to be determined what that looks like and how it will benefit the Azores. So stay tuned for that. But in regards to the farm, I really want to get some bees. Eric and I have been talking. Yeah, we've been talking for a couple years now. um, And I think that would be a really 
special addition to our family. Um, Have you worked with bees in the past? No, I haven't. Okay. Um, Have you? I did at a community garden in Kalamazoo um, Mm -hmm. under careful stewardship of Dale. Dale made sure that I knew what I was doing. She was lovely, but it was, it's very special. Mm -hmm. Recommend it. Yeah, we made friends or made acquaintances with like the local bee man. Wow. Um, in our village and everyone um, needs one as a friend. A local bee man. And he's been saying, like, yeah, when you're ready, um, can deliver some bee boxes. And Eric's definitely the person who just like dives right into everything and is like, we'll figure it out as we go along. And I'm a bit more of like the Capricorn, like, hey, how are we gonna plan this? Like, you know, what's gonna happen? What do we need? Um, so I imagine just bees will just like show up one day on our property and tell you all about it. Special. Um, it is. And then what else? So, oh, we also acquired, um, some ruins not too long ago, which I know I told you about. Um, and we plan to fix those up, but it's like such a massive project and we're still at the beginning stages and, envisioning what we want from that venture and where to go from there. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kristen and listeners, for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lizenby. You can find us online at K8Ballou and at East and Alchemy. Send us all of your questions and comments or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at tamedwild or on the blog tamedwild.com. Tune into next week's episode for another magical conversation. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be or something better. Until next time.